0: Good afternoon, folks. It's that time again, 1 o'clock, Saturday afternoon, time for The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS, 1320 AM and 99.1 FM. Talk radio. Hey, I'm your host, Sam DeMarco, host of The Elephant in the Room, joined here by my trusty assistant here, John Schneider, Executive Director for the Republican Committee of Allegheny County. Our producer is back this week, dazzling Daryl Grandy. You know, he stepped out last week, and, and uh, I want to tell you, uh, gregarious Greg Maxwell Filled in great Did a great job there That's but what hey, he does But but hey It's not the same, Daryl We're happy to have you back Thank you, Sam And we have a special guest with us today Joining us today in studio Is candidate For Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court Megan Martin Megan, welcome to the show
1: Thanks so much, Sam I'm delighted to be here
0: Well, we're delighted to have you But hey I got a lot of questions to ask you And I know our listeners Want to hear a little bit about you you know, you know, who are you? You know, where are you from? Why did you decide to run all that? But before we get to that, i got to update our folks on some of the news. Folks, I don't know if you know or if you saw, but earlier this week on Wednesday, a new poll broke. There was an article written by WESA, Chris Potter at WESA, talking about a new poll that was done by Pittsburgh Works Together, which is a consortium of business interests in building trade unions. It shows that in the Allegheny County executive race, that Representative Sarah Inamorado has vaulted to the lead in that race for Allegheny County Executive. In the poll, she had the backing of 32% of registered Democrats likely to vote in the May 16th primary, and this was a survey of 400 voters by Virginia-based public opinion strategies. Now, County Treasurer John Weinstein and Pittsburgh City Controller Mike Lamb, they're tied at 20%, with 18% of Democratic voters still undecided poll had a margin of error of 4.9 percent. Now, folks, this is an earthquake in the Democratic race for their nominee here in this primary. It showed impressive gains for Intermorado from an earlier Pittsburgh Works Together poll conducted a month ago in which she finished third. So it's good news for her campaign, not necessarily good news for the people of Allegheny County. If you follow her crazy ideas, you know, on Twitter and in the media, And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But I just wanted to let you know about this poll. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens on May 16th in the Democratic primary. Now, Republicans, we already have our candidate, the most qualified candidate to be running for county executive. And that's Joe Rocky. Joe, a former C-suite executive, former chief risk officer at PNC Financial, is running. He is somebody that has taken and managed thousands of employees. He has managed billion dollar budgets. So here's a guy that is without question has the qualifications to be able to come in and you know hit the ground running, taking and managing an enterprise, such as which Allegheny County is, with almost sixty six hundred total employees and a budget of over three billion dollars a year. So hey, look forward to talking to you more about that in the coming weeks and having Joe on again as we get to know him a little bit better and learn more about his plans. On how to move Allegheny County forward, but now back to my guest here. She's sitting here so patiently, you know, just waiting to, you know, I want to say with bated breath, okay, to sort of tell you, our listeners, you know, who she is, why she's running, and why it's so important that you elect her to be the nominee for the Republican Party in the May 16th primary for Commonwealth Court. Megan, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Sam.
0: So, hey, tell our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. I am actually an attorney from Cumberland County. Mm -hmm. I live there with my husband and my three kiddos. Uh, The youngest is 17. The oldest is 21. For any dog lovers out there in the audience, we also have a two-year-old pony-sized Bernie Doodle. You know, Sam, I'm always going to mention him, especially around you. That's right.
0: That's right. Big animal lover here. That's
1: right. He's part of our family as well. And uh, I was originally born and raised actually in the southeast part of the state. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in Delaware County. We won't hold that against you. I was just going to say, please don't hold that against me. <laughs> I am the fifth of six children in a very large Irish-Italian family okay. back home in the southeast.
0: Same here. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the oldest of six kids in an Irish-Italian-Irish Irish-Italian, Italian family, I guess.
1: So you know what it's like to live yep. in a, a fun and loud and, and Oh, crazy my gosh, house.
0: yes. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. And... I can tell you a little bit about kind of my upbringing, what it was like growing up in the southeast. I I was part of, you know, a a wonderful family, and my parents really instilled all my values in me. Uh, My mom was incredibly devout and faith-filled. We're Catholic, and her greatest joy in life was absolutely uh, being a mom to me and my five brothers and sisters, and she certainly passed on her love of the Lord and love of family to me, and I, I cherish my family. I would say I get my work ethic from my dad. My dad is the son of Italian immigrants, So my grandparents uh, came here from Italy, and my dad was a child of the Great Depression. And when my dad was eight years old, my pop-pop lost his business, and so my dad went to work to help feed their family. And so you can imagine the environment that I was raised in. My dad really worked hard for everything he had, and he appreciated the value of hard work and the value of a dollar. And he always told me that if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and work hard, you could do and be anything in America. And my dad went on to ultimately become a physician, and he did that through the oh, wow. help of, yes, a, a, um, a teacher in, in, in his high school. noticed how bright he was and, and offered to help my dad get a scholarship. And then my dad worked for the rest of his college tuition, and then he met my mom, and my mom had some jobs to help pay for medical school. And so he really is kind of the living embodiment of the American dream, and that's something that has always stayed with me. I've always admired that about my dad, and I would say his relentless work ethic he passed on to me. And I apply it to every aspect of my life. I'm applying it to this Commonwealth Court campaign. And certainly, God willing, I get elected in May and November. I will apply it to my time on the bench as well.
0: Well, I know. uh, I've already voted for you because I voted by mail. Oh, yeah. You know, Election Day is a busy day for me. You know, uh, this year I'm not on the Board of Elections because I'm on the ballot. But this frees me up to be able to go around to the polls to try to help our other Republican candidates, you know, get elected here. You know, so I've already cast my vote. I'm happy to say, pleased to say, yeah, you know, that I've already voted for you. So I will you just say hey, thank you. You already have at least one. Have one in Allegheny County. Two. Oh two. John, yeah. you got yep. two there, right? So thank hey, you, John. We we are on a roll. Okay.
1: Outstanding. But
0: but no, listen. You know, that's fascinating when you talk about your family, and your upbringing, because that that tells you a little bit about, you know how your how your values and principles were formed. Okay? Absolutely. And uh, you know what you're talking about is something that's sort of lost. It seems, it, today. You know when we hear all these different things that you know, in culture right i mean it seems like uh, you, when you talk about you know hard work and being able to achieve you're willing to work hard be able to achieve anything here the american dream i mean there's so many people out there they don't believe in that you know but yet you know your family your father is a living embodiment of it
1: absolutely and it really makes me count my blessings and my husband and i have really tried to raise our children in a very faith filled loving home where we have taught them to love america Mm -hmm. and to respect all of the rich blessings and freedoms that we have in our lives, and to be thankful for the men and women in our armed services who keep us safe and who protect our freedoms. And I do think that a lot of that, unfortunately, is lost today. But we have worked hard to create the kind of environment for them where, like I said, they they love America, and they're proud to be Americans, and where they want to work hard and be successful. And One of the reasons that I think for me is such a blessing being part of this campaign is I think I'm trying to set a good example for my children Mm -hmm. and for other folks out there that there are good people who want to run and want to serve the public for all the right reasons. Listen, Sam, anybody who knows me knows that I believe public service is a calling and that I feel it in my heart and I've been called to serve. I've dedicated almost my entire 30-year Career of practicing law to public service. And it is a privilege and an honor and a blessing to perform meaningful work that impacts the lives of 13 million people every day, all across our great commonwealth. Whether they know it or not, that's not the point. The point is that I know that I'm doing work that is making their lives better. And for me, that has really been my motivator throughout my nearly 30 year career.
0: No, that, and that is awesome. Now, one of the things that struck me, you talked about your 30 year career, is how you are uniquely qualified. Why don't you tell our listeners? The type of cases that an appellate court, such as the Commonwealth Court, which you're running to be the nominee for, that they hear. And why, based upon your experience, you know, and I'm going back to being the parliamentarian in the Senate and understanding legislation and how it gets passed and things of that nature, how that makes you uniquely qualified or best suited to be the nominee the republican party here this year
1: i'm happy to do that sam because it's a wonderful question i would say that many people don't know what our commonwealth court is and what its special mission and purpose is frankly my husband is not a lawyer and until i decided to run for this court he was unaware so mm-hmm. it's common across our great state people don't really know and the commonwealth court is a statewide appellate court just beneath the supreme court but it is very unique. It only hears government cases, and it's the only court like it in the whole country. And so uh, to give it some context for, for your listeners, when you get up in the morning and you turn on your lights or you turn on your faucet, that's the Commonwealth Court because the Commonwealth Court will hear utility cases. When you take your children or your grandchildren to school, that's the Commonwealth Court because the Commonwealth Court hears education cases. When you vote, Commonwealth Court hears our election cases. So it hears constitutional cases. If you own a business, if you own a farm, if you have a government contracting issue, all of those types of cases are heard by our Commonwealth Court. And what I would like your listeners to know about me is that I am the most qualified and ideally suited to be a judge on the Commonwealth Court because I have a th- nearly 30-year career of service handling almost primarily government issues. I have spent three decades learning the intricacies of our government, and I've done it through a very special career path. I'm the only attorney I know who has served in all three branches of our state government. I had the honor of serving for one judge. I've served in the administrations of two of our governors. I've served three lieutenant governors and 91 state senators, uh, but that's not all. I also had the honor of my career serving as an attorney for the United States Navy. And at the Navy, I was a litigator and I was a transactional lawyer, and I got to serve all those men and women who so selflessly served each and every one of us, each and every day. It was truly my honor to serve. I worked uh, at the Navy base in Mechanicsburg, near where I live and there were about 2600 navy and civilian personnel on the base and there were five civilian attorneys who provided legal services to them so it was a very robust practice of law for all of us but that's not all in addition to that as you mentioned earlier for the last 10 and a half years i was a legislative lawyer i was the parliamentarian at the pennsylvania state senate Uh, for your listeners out there i'm the first and only woman in the history of the senate to be the parliamentarian so i'm proud of that but much more importantly is the fact that it is a job where every day I had to act like a judge. I had to literally check my politics at the doors of the Capitol and fairly and impartially manage the legislative process for the Senate. I always kept our constitution and our laws and the rules of the Senate as my North Star. So I've got a proven 10 year track record of acting fairly and judiciously that I can bring to the bench. And another important aspect of that job is to get the job and to keep the job, I had to get elected by the senators every other year and I was unanimously elected five times by the senators. So I'm very proud of my record that they also saw the fair and judicious way in which I carried out my duties. And being the parliamentarian, as you suggested earlier, it was a wonderful experience on many levels but one of the, the best aspects of the job was it really gave me a deep insight into the legislative process. I was literally in the room where all of our laws were debated and discussed and considered for more than a decade. So I really do understand the legislative branch. But what's I think really exciting about me as a candidate for a commonwealth court is I've served in all of these three branches of our state government, so I have the perspective from each of the branches that I can bring to the court. I understand that not only the legal issues, but also the legislative, the regulatory, the policy, and the operational issues, and that is a really uh, comprehensive you know, depth and breadth of experience that I can bring to the commonwealth court, and I think that's what really makes me stand out as a candidate.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, that is an incredibly impressive resume but you have there, right? And you're, the breadth of experience you have, as I said, does make you uniquely qualified there. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your education? How do you where did you go to school?
1: Sure, I went to the University of Delaware for my undergraduate degree, and I studied English and history. Uh, interesting fact is, I actually uh, started out as a pre med major. I wanted to be a doctor <laughs> and follow in my dad's footsteps, and but it as Just the way fate would have it, I guess. I just really enjoyed my English classes a lot more than I did my math and science classes. And so I stuck with what I would say is my, I still stuck with my passion of wanting to serve and help people. I think that was why I had really thought about being a doctor, to help people. And I thought I could achieve similar goals helping people by being an attorney. Well,
0: I I think you certainly have helped people. I mean, I couldn't help but notice when I was looking at your materials, your literature here, you talked about you served as a pro bono attorney for the YWCA Domestic Violence Legal Clinic. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. You know, Sam, that was a very special experience for me on many levels. Uh, First of all, it made me count my blessings. And uh, second of all, it gave me an opportunity to help women who were at a point in their lives when they so desperately needed some help. And so it was incredibly impactful and meaningful work for me to be able to help uh, those victims and mm-hmm. to try to guide them through the legal process. And uh, it's something that I will never forget. It was really a blessing to be able to, to do that work uh, for the women um, in the community in central Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. I mean, I, I've gotten to know you. That's one of the reasons why I voted for you, right? So I know how great you are and how you would make a fantastic uh, nominee. What would you say to our listeners, folks who are just hearing you for the first time here today, Okay on why you believe that you're the best candidate to be the Republican nominee.
1: Certainly, I have a couple points that I'd make. The first point would be, I'd want your listeners to know that I share their values of faith and family and hard work and reverence for our Constitution. And that I hold a conservative judicial philosophy that each and every one of them can trust. I think it's important for your listeners to know that I believe we need judges who are fair and impartial and independent. And we need judges who will follow the law judges who will defend the rule of law, judges who will apply the law as it was written by the General Assembly and who will not legislate from the bench. And finally, with our Commonwealth Court judges, we need judges who are not afraid to hold our government accountable because just as you and I have to follow the law, so too does our government. And I would want your audience to know that I will be that judge. And that I would say that my values and my conservative judicial philosophy taken together with the depth and breadth of my nearly 30 year career of service really makes me the best candidate and uniquely poised to be a judge on our Commonwealth Court. And I would give my third and final point uh, speaks to my electability, Sam. I, I think I'm our November candidate. I think that not only can I win uh, on May 16th, but I think that all, I can also uh, finish the race and win in November. Because let's face it, only winning in May is a hollow victory. Mm-hmm. And we need to find candidates who can finish the race and win in November. And I have no doubt that I am the November candidate. I was endorsed by our party with 76% of the vote. I've been recommended by the Pennsylvania Bar Association. I'm the only Republican candidate for Commonwealth Court who's been recommended by the Bar Association. I've also been uh, recommended by various other conservative groups that I think that your listeners would be um, pleased and and, uh, proud to know about as well. And um, like I uh, mentioned earlier, I was unanimously elected by the senators five times, so that shows that I'll be willing, I'll be able to build out the broad-based coalition of support that will be needed uh, for Nove- for a November victory, but I don't wanna get ahead of myself because I need all the votes I can get for May 16th.
0: I, I think that's striking when you talk about, you know, having been elected five times in the state Senate unanimously, because I don't think those folks could agree on what to have for lunch, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Let alone to agree you know, on who the parliamentarian is, right? And to, uh, to have both Democrats and Republicans, you know, fully support and elect you goes a long way towards showing that, hey, you're not making a promise. You're not just making a promise that you will, you know, rule fair and uh, impartially, but you've actually lived it and you've been doing it for the last 10 years. So this is really, you know, what we would, if we were fortunate enough to nominate you as a nominee and you were to win in November— I mean, this would be, you would be just continuing, you know, something that you've been doing for quite a while.
1: I would completely agree with that, Sam. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for your listeners to know that each time that I was elected in the Senate, I took the same constitutional oath that our senators took, that our judges take, that our state reps take to uh, support, obey, and defend our Constitution. And so it was an oath that I took very seriously. And I, I did literally check my politics at the door to carry out my duties It wasn't my job to be a partisan caucus lawyer for either caucus. And so I took my role very seriously. I was an institutional officer of the Senate, and I led an operation that was comprised of 80 people on my team in eight different departments. And I led by example because I also expected them to serve all the members of the Senate and all the staff of the Senate equally, regardless of their party affiliation. And so I led by example, and I'm very proud of that. And I would also add that one of the hats that I wore at the Senate, in addition to being the parliamentarian. I also had a quasi-judicial role. I was the right-to-know law appeals officer. And what that means for your listeners out there is that the Senate would get requests for information pursuant to the right-to-know law. And if the requester was not satisfied with the response, they could appeal to me. And under the law, I had 30 days to issue my decision, and my decision was then appealable to the Commonwealth Court. So I took it very seriously. I was not a rubber stamp of the Senate's decision below, and I really reviewed each of my appeals with fresh and fair and impartial and independent legal eyes, and I strictly applied the right to know law if the Constitution uh, was implicated. I also strictly analyzed that, and I'm proud to tell you that, first of all, for transparency's sake, all of my decisions are published online, so any viewer can go and look at those, any listener can go and look, look at those, but I was never appealed and I was never reversed by the Commonwealth Court because my decisions were grounded in the law. And many of my decisions, uh, many of my requests, rather, uh, in the appeals process, were from uh, members of the the press, and they did not appeal. And so that just, to me, showed how grand grounded in law my decisions were. And I'm very proud of that work that I did.
0: I'll tell you what that that is astounding. Don't you think, John? Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, it you know to be able to say that hey, I, the decisions you made, not a, not a single one, you know, was appealed, goes a long way to showing that not only did you make the right decision. But you were also able to satisfactorily explain it, you know, to the person who had issued, you and, know, the, uh, I don't call it complaint or whatever, the request, issued the request that they found the substance was there
1: absolutely. And, and came
0: around and agreed with you. That is awesome.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that, Sam. And I will tell you, I really do enjoy uh, legal research and legal writing and um, i was a part-time law professor while my children uh, were babies and it was a wonderful way for me to put my family first and so i taught legal writing and i taught appellate advocacy and when the navy hired me one of the reasons why they hired me was uh, so that i could um, offer training to the civilian attorneys and the paralegals, uh, in legal writing and appellate advocacy. And so I train. I provided that training at our national conferences. And so, um, I always say that I don't have very many talents. I, I have a daughter who can sing beautifully, a son who's a good artist, a son who's good at IT. And, and whenever I lament, my husband always says, well, you're really good at grammar. So I guess you know, that's my talent. I can, can write, but I enjoy it. And I think that it has served me well. Um, in various aspects of my career, but certainly uh, most particularly with regard to that right-to-know law work.
0: Well, that's awesome. Now, so, folks, as I had shared with Megan here, I've already voted for her uh, to be our nominee for Commonwealth Court, but you may not have, okay? And while we're taking the time today on our show to try to give her the ability to reach out through these airwaves and talk to you and tell you a little bit about herself why she believes she's uniquely qualified for this, and why she believes she deserves your vote on May 16th. Uh, if you want to learn more about her, Megan, where would they go?
1: They have a, a few options, Sam. They can go to Facebook or Instagram, Megan Martin4PA, and it's F O R, not the number four, so Megan Martin4PA. We also have a website, MeganMartin4PA.com. Uh, and also, if you Google Megan Martin for judge, all sorts of uh, information comes up, not only my website and social media pages, but also various interviews that I've conducted in my travels across our great Commonwealth. So I am proud to tell you, Sam, uh, I pledged when I became a candidate that I would run a 67-county campaign. And I have uh, honored my, my pledge. And I have been to all 67 counties at least once. And I have been really been working tirelessly and relentlessly to achieve that goal. And I'm very proud of that. And I love talking to the folks that I've encountered all across our, our Commonwealth. And um, I've been very uh, fortunate to go to some local media outlets and and get some interviews and and be in the paper and be on television. So there's all all of those uh, clips and excerpts are also available uh, out on the web and on on our website as well.
0: Well, I think that's incredible. It's an incredible claim that you can make here, having visited all 67 counties already in this cycle. Okay, Uh, Oftentimes, we have candidates that talk about this, and that's their goal to do that during their campaign but you've done it already before the primary. and that I mean, that's just, I I think that's a demonstration uh, to your point earlier of the work ethic you said that your father passed on to you. Now, of all those 67 counties, which one's your favorite?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm in Allegheny right now, (laughs) so. (laughs) That's right. And and,
0: hey, listen, you know, uh, I appreciate you saying that. Our (laughs) folks do too. But, you know, your favorite is always the county you're in. When you're At in it. At the moment, that's exactly. right. Exactly. That is right. Absolutely. A- 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 exactly. Now, hey, folks, you know, you just heard Megan tell you, you go to Facebook, you go to these different places, you can go to a website that she has, Megan Martin for PA, and while she explained to you that it's F-O-R, not just four, I want to make sure you spell Megan properly, okay? One of the things that has driven me crazy, and I don't know about you listeners, but it seems like every name that someone has, my gosh, there are all these multiple spellings for it, Okay. You know, I have a niece Stephanie and she spells her name the right way. There's no there's no P H in there. It's F F you know S T E F F A N I E and But this Megan is M E G A N. M E G A N Martin M A R T I N for F O R P A dot com. So Megan Martin for P A dot com. You can go to her website. You can learn more about her. And if you want to get involved, sure you can sign up there. Uh, to become a volunteer, yes. or to help in any other way.
1: Yes, you sure can. And you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and you can see what we're up to. You can see our travels. You can see who's endorsed and supported me. Uh, we've done a great job, I think, getting our message out on the socials as well.
0: No, no, a- a- absolutely. Now, folks, we're going to have to take a break here, a couple of minutes. <clears throat> but before we do, uh, I, I just you know want to share with my guest here how pleasant, how great a pleasure it is to have her in our studio today to be able to... Uh, have this conversation with, you know, ourselves and with our listeners so that they can learn more about her. I mean, you know, you talk about your background growing up, you talk about your education, you talk about your experience. I mean, I think that anybody would have to consider you a well-rounded uh, candidate here uh, and, and, and and deserving of being the Republican nominee for Commonwealth Court here. Now, in our next segment, uh, and please, can you stick around for the second segment? Absolutely. Okay, in the next segment, I want to talk a little bit about Uh, Your philosophy in regards to the separation of powers here, meaning judicial branch, legislative, and executive, because we're seeing some things take place in Washington where it seems Democrats are attacking the legitimacy of the United States Supreme Court because they don't like some of the decisions that have come down recently. And I, I just think that there has to be respect from the different branches of government you know, for each other and for the separation of powers. And I'm concerned about how that's playing out in Washington. And I don't know, you know, what you can say about any of those things. But uh, if you can, you know, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on that. Folks, we're going to take a break here now. This is Sam DeMarco, the elephant in the room on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM. Be back in a minute. The midterm elections are in the rearview mirror, and now it's time to start finding great school board candidates for 2023. Convince the right candidates to run using the Get Elected app for easy-to-understand voter data and analysis, canvassing tools, and more. Visit getelected.org and show them the path to victory. Get elected. Campaign with confidence. Welcome back, folks. This is Sam Demarco, your host, on The Elephant in the Room on WJS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM. In our first segment, we're here, we're joined in the studio here by candidate for Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court, Megan Martin. And uh, she was just telling us a lot about her background and her qualifications in the first segment. And I'll tell you what, I mean, really, I, I don't know how you get more qualified for this. But when I left the first segment, I had just uh, asked her a question, and it was related to what we see taking place this week or this past week in Washington, D.C., where Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee are holding hearings where they're attacking bl- the legitimacy of the United States Supreme Court, particularly Justices Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, you and others, to, to try to, because they just because they don't like some of the decisions that have come out recently. They had no problem with the last 18 years of them, okay. And you know, one of the things that that I'm a firm believer in is in the separation of powers, and that a judge is supposed to rule on the law, not on the legislation, not on the popularity of something or the idea, but on the law, you know? So, Megan, what's your philosophy, so to speak, in regards to what you see happening down there?
1: That's a great question, Sam, and I really appreciate that because through my travels across our great Commonwealth, I can tell you that the most common sentiment that has been expressed to me is that people are concerned that our judges are making policy decisions that they have no business making, that the policy decisions are reserved for their elected representatives in the General Assembly, not for our judges. And frankly, I share those concerns. And I want to assure and reassure the people who are listening and the people of Pennsylvania that I will be a judge who follows the law and who upholds our Constitution and who defends the rule of law. I mean, that's the bedrock of our government. And I think that people are very concerned. We used to have a phrase at the Navy, you stay in your swim lane. And they're concerned that judges are not staying in their swim lanes. And listen, whether or not it actually is happening, that's really not the point. The point that so many people are concerned that it is happening, to me, that's a concern and that's problematic. And part of the reason why I'm running is because I really want to restore the faith of the people in Pennsylvania in the members of our judiciary. I think that one judge at a time... We can reassure the folks who are listening in your audience and the folks all across our Commonwealth that there are good judges out there who are following the law, who are honoring the Constitution, who are defending the rule of law, because that's the kind of judge that the people of Pennsylvania need and want and deserve. And so that's really at the heart of why I am doing what I am Mm. doing. And so I think it's a very legitimate question. I think that after having served in all three branches of our government here in in Pennsylvania, uh, that I really do have a deep appreciation for the very separate and distinct roles of each of uh, the government, each of the branches of the government. And so I think that I will bring that mindset with me to the bench, and I think that's really a very important mindset for any judge to have, and and I will certainly bring that from day one. God willing, I get elected in May and November.
0: Well, I think that's important for our listeners to know because there's no doubt that judicial activism in some places is taking place, particularly on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Uh, I'll go back, 2018, When they came out and they ruled that the congressional districts that had been in place for eight years were all of a sudden unconstitutional. They'd been agreed to. They'd been in place eight years. They were agreed to by both parties. You know, the legislature had put them in place as per the Pennsylvania Constitution. but They just decided, no, you know, they were unconstitutional. And then they took the next step. Instead of sending it back and having the legislature redo them, okay, they went out and contracted and got their own expert and draw maps And they put those maps in place, okay? They altered the balance of, I don't want to call it power, but they altered the balance of seats in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Then you go to 2020. You know, uh, 2020 was the first year. Act 77 had been passed on October 31st of 2019. It was the first year for mail-in ballots, and we were dealing with the pandemic and everything like that. But there were a number of challenges that went to the Supreme Court. Um, You had Democrat lawyers, uh, Mark Elias was one, you know, trying to take and get rid of all the safeguards that had been put in the law originally by the legislature uh, to try to make it easier for, uh, I don't want to say cheap, but to try to make it, uh, to try to get rid of the safeguards that were put in place. So what does the Supreme Court do? They didn't just roll on the law as written or consult with the legislature on what things meant. They just created things out of thin air. There were no such things as drop boxes or satellite voting offices in Act 77. There was no such thing as a three-day extension in Act 77. Okay, They took and allowed for no signature verification to be required when you return your mail-in or absentee ballot. Now, <clears throat> um, that's not an interpretation of a law. That's judicial activism. Okay, And it's one of the reasons why we're in the position we're in in Pennsylvania today. And and there have been multiple cases. We just saw it again here, uh, just in the redistricting that took place after the 2020 election. You know, Governor Tom Wolf refused to work and negotiate with the legislature on maps, knowing that the Supreme Court would put in place a um, special master to help. And they did. They put in place a partisan, I believe, uh, former Chancellor Mark Norenberg, of uh, the University of Pittsburgh who completely redrew these maps i mean he didn't he didn't act as a neutral arbiter between the democrats and the republicans he actually went on and had his own maps drawn right taking into account things that aren't in the pennsylvania constitution such as introducing the term proportionality and drawing maps based specifically on that and based upon racial demographics okay things that aren't part of the PA Constitution. So those things have really soured many people, you know, on the courts. And it's it, this is one of these things in, in government as a whole, you know, is when you do these things, when you get, as you said, outside your swim lane, right, and you start doing these things outside, it starts to, qual- to call into question the legitimacy of these decisions. And look, there's no guarantee that we're going to like the outcome of a particular case okay or a particular ruling but we all need to believe that it's fair and impartial and it's based upon the law and that's what we really need to get back to and that's why I'm so heartened to hear what you're talking about here you know on your philosophy your judicial philosophy and how you would roll and you know <clears throat> and how hopefully that this can restore some legitimacy you know to the courts now It's not just you running this year. You have a slate of folks out there. We have an endorsed slate. We have Montgomery County Judge uh, Carolyn Carluccio, President Judge of Montgomery County, first woman to be the President Judge out there, who's running to be the nominee for the Republican Party for the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. You have a colleague, or I say colleague, um, Harry Smale, Judge Harry Smale, judge in Westmoreland County's Common Plea Court, is running for Superior Court. Maria Batista, you know, from uh, Clarion County, I believe, is running to be the other nominee for Superior Court, and we have yourself. You want to say a few things about your uh, colleagues that are on 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 the slate with you?
1: Oh, absolutely, Sam. I'm really proud of the slate that the party put together. I said earlier that I'm your November candidate for Commonwealth Court. Well, we are all your November candidates for the respective courts for which we were all endorsed. And we have all been working tirelessly, crisscrossing the Commonwealth, getting to as many communities as we can, reaching out to as many people as we can to get our message out and to earn the votes of uh, the people here in Pennsylvania. And what I would say to you is this, is that all four of us share the same philosophy. We all believe that judges should not be legislating from the bench. We all believe that judges should defend the rule of law and protect our constitutional rights and freedoms. And that should give great comfort to the people who are listening today and to the voters of Pennsylvania that we will be fair and impartial judges. And we, I know that I can say this for myself and, and I believe my Slate uh, uh, colleagues would agree. You know, we're running to make a better future for Pennsylvania, for our children, for our children's children. And by restoring faith of the people in our judiciary, it's a wonderful way that we can do that. We can, we can put four conservative principal judges onto these statewide appellate courts this year and I think it's critically important that we go four for four and we would all be honored to have the votes of uh, your listeners and uh, Republicans all across this great Commonwealth on May 16th
0: well and, and I heartily endorse you know this entire slate here okay uh, you know there, there
1: there's a reason
0: why you know the state party gets together and endorses and I, I listen I understand the people out there who sit there and say, well, no, no, the people need to make a decision. No, the people are the ones making the decision. They make it on May 16th, okay? But you're counting on folks like ourselves, the people that serve on state committee, to sort of kick the tires and do the vetting and to try to come up with the candidate that they believe gives us the best chance to win in November. You know, the candidate who's most qualified, who we believe would do the best job, and I think we've done that here.
1: I would wholeheartedly agree. I really enjoyed the endorsement process uh, make no mistake about it, it it was rigorous it was not easy but for me I would say it was a a difficult but a very um, pleasant process for me I really enjoyed working hard to reach out to the nearly 400 members of state committee to get to know them to let them get to know me and to earn their respect and ultimately earn their support and their votes in the endorsement process <laughs> and then their support throughout this whole election process. And I think that they do a great service to the people of Pennsylvania because they really do vet the candidates. Because let's face it, 13 million people don't have the opportunity to speak to me and the other candidates. But the members of state committee do get that opportunity. And so they're elected by people in their communities to, to be their voice and to be their um, choice for vetting all of us and so I think it's a wonderful process I, I enjoyed uh, working through the process with state committee I learned a lot you know, if somebody who was the parliamentarian like I was for the last 10 and a half years I really was not part of the politics and so I didn't know anybody on state committee I really had to work hard to earn their votes and to earn their trust and so I'm very proud that I earned 76% of the vote and I will tell you Sam I have learned so much in this process I never knew how much time talent and treasure people put into our elections here in Pennsylvania. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's amazing to me and it's humbling as the candidate because for example, getting the support of state committee, but then the next step, everything is kind of in phases and in steps because then next you have to get petitions signed. And so people worked hard and hundreds of people circulated petitions for me all across the Commonwealth hundreds of people and I got 10,000 signatures and I got signatures in all 67 counties. And so I'm really proud of that. And it's humbling because most of these people, I don't even know, right. but they supported me enough and had enough faith in me, they wanted to work for me. And then we had people put together the thousands of signs that we ordered. And now we have people going out knocking on doors and they're gonna work the polls. And so it truly is humbling for me and for all of the, the endorsed uh, candidates on the slate to see the, the efforts that people are going to, uh, into to help us cross the finish line on May 16th, and then again in November, it's it's amazing to be part of this process. I've I've said to some folks, everybody should run for office, so you appreciate it more, or at least be on a campaign team, so you really do appreciate, you know, the, our beautiful republic and the democratic way that we do things. It's really it's been an amazing experience in my life. I will never forget this.
0: Well, I, I, I hope it's a fruitful experience. As do okay. I. <laughs> right. I mean, I really hope this uh, you, know, you know, this plays out and. And that takes us back to something here. One of the challenges we have is Republicans. Uh, you know, right now the Republican Party we have a faction or you know, different factions within the party, and some of these folks are still chasing, you know, what they believe or anomalies, you know, things that they just don't understand that happened or occurred in the election. <clears throat> so they're, they believe that there was fraud or things of that nature. And the concern that someone like myself has as a party leader is that. There's been no no real proof ever given in a court of law that there was, you know, significant or systemic fraud in our most recent elections, okay? But we have a swath of the party that is focused on that instead of one on what I believe is the important work of just getting Republicans to the polls to vote. I mean, elections are a math game. Okay? If we get more of our supporters there to vote for us than they do of them, then we win. You know, only if we win can we put in place the judicial philosophy that you're talking about here, right? Rolling by according to the law and not being a judicial activist. You know, and, and our folks need to realize, look, we can have our debates, we can have our squabbles, we can have our fights, but at the end of the day, we have to get to work. You know, and you were talking about all the people in all 67 counties that helped circulate your petitions to get those signatures, that helped set up yard signs, that helped doing so many other things for you in the slate today, but <clears throat> it's also important that in those 67 counties that these people come together to reach out to Republicans who may have only voted in one of the last two off-year elections, okay, or may have only voted in, in none of the last off-year elections, right, and try to get these folks to the polls. And obviously, I don't know what the reason is. Everyone has a different reason. You know, it could have been weather. It could have been their vehicle broke down. It could have been uh, apathy. They just, you know, weren't interested. Could have thought that they thought it was just too hard to get the polls, whatever their reason was. We need to find a way to get them to make their voices be heard on May 16th and in November if we're to take and move forward here in Pennsylvania. So, you know, I try to preach a um, sermon of unity here because it's absolutely what's required. I mean, was it Patrick Henry? He was the one that said, you know, united we stand and divided we fall. Okay. Patrick Henry, I think, said, uh, We've not yet begun to fight. The John death. Paul Jones. Yeah. Give me liberty, give me death. See, look <laughs> at that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get attacked. I'm a rhino because I screwed up a phrase from <laughs> one of our founders. Okay. It's okay. I'm used to it, folks. Uh, but you, know, you, you get my point. Okay. If we're going to win, we need everybody in the boat rowing in the same direction. Okay. Uh, and they got to be in, in search of the same goal. And, and that's something that's incredibly important here. And I hope our listeners take to heart. You don't have to agree with me on everything, but I think you should agree that Megan Martin is a fantastic candidate for a Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court and and worthy of your vote, uh, whether you do vote early through a mail-in or absentee ballot or on May 16th, and certainly in November should she be the nominee.
1: Well, Sam, I would agree that there is strength in unity, and I've said that in all of my talking points from day one, going through the endorsement process and certainly in my remarks across the Commonwealth as as well. I think it's really critically important that as a party, we look forward and we unite and we come together behind uh, the endorsed ticket to help us all get across the finish line, because let's face it, um, it will be a difficult fight uh, and it will be a, a difficult election. But we're all up to the challenge in terms of the four candidates and uh, we're ready for it and we're excited about it and i know that i personally and, and my my uh, slate colleagues would agree you know we've all been running positive campaigns giving the people of pennsylvania mm-hmm. uh, a positive message reasons why they want to vote for us and um I'm, and maybe it's a little naive of me but i hope that, that that messaging helps to bring people out brings the voters out because i think that people are fatigued from all of the negativity and I think that when you can say to folks, I want you to vote for me because I'll give you three reasons to vote for me," and you give three positive reasons. I just think that that goes a long way in terms of selling my ideas and convincing folks and, and my own advocacy for for where I stand here in this campaign. And, and I'm hopeful that that translates into better voter turnout. Um, and, and, and again, I think it's really important. We need to unite as a party because when we don't, uh, we lose, and right. the people of Pennsylvania lose, and that's that's really the 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 bottom line here. The people deserve to have judges who are fair and impartial, and who will follow the law, and who will honor the Constitution and defend our rule of law. That's what they deserve, and that's what the four of us will give them. And so, I hope that they will remember that on May 16th and on November 7th.
0: No, I couldn't agree more, and and that again that goes back to why I preach, you know, the sermon of unity here because. You know, uh, Democrats did very well in Pennsylvania last year in the midterm elections. Okay, and the anticipated red wave never came to fruition here. But it—it's my firm belief it wasn't because our ideas were unpopular. Okay, it was because we didn't do as good a job as the other side did in, from a infrastructure perspective, in getting their voters out to vote. I mean, we did an analysis. Uh, you know, I was on the committee a state committee committee to look at best practices for mail-in ballots this year. And uh, we talked to different folks. Last year, Democrats, and I'll use the Senate race for example, they got 850,000 votes in that race from people that had little to no voter history. That meant they had either only voted in one of the last two even-year elections or had not voted in either of the last two even-year elections, Okay. But by reaching out, by getting applications in these folks' hands, by calling them up or knocking on their door and getting them to complete and mail those ballots in, they were able to get 850,000 votes from those folks, okay? I think we had like 45,000, okay? So, folks, for all the people out there and our listeners here who are complaining and feel that we're losing our country, okay, okay? Uh, that things are slipping away from us. you know, That's because we're not doing the hard work necessary to keep up with what the other side is doing. It's not because we don't have the best ideas. We do. Our ideas actually work. It's not because we don't have the best candidates. And we absolutely do. You just heard from Megan, and she shared a lot about the rest of the folks on the indoor slate. But it's because we allow infighting, and other things to distract us from the mission at hand, which is trying to get every single registered Republican and right-leaning independent to the polls in May and November to cast their ballot, cast their vote, and elect someone that they believe, as Megan put it, is going to rule according to the law as a fair and impartial judge, assuring everyone in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that should you come before her, that you will receive real justice. Amen. What else would you like to add here? Get off my soapbox before I fall off it. <laughs> you know, John kicks it out from under me, he's over uh, there.
1: No, I think that Sam, it's a great point you made with regard to the mail-in ballots. I think that there are a lot of us who might not love the idea of mail-in ballots, but let's face it, they are the law here in Pennsylvania. And if the Democrats use them so much to their success and their advantage, then we too should do the same. We should fight fire with fire. And if we can get our low propensity v- voters to vote in mail-in ballots and other folks who just might think they might be busy that day, or they might not be feeling well, or you know, to, to use them, I think it would really be helpful. I know that I do not wanna wake up hundreds of thousands of votes uh, in the hole on election day in November uh, because we did not successfully use mail-in ballots. And so I think that you you raised some excellent points re- with regard to the mail-in ballots. Right,
0: and listen, I'm confident that things are going to change. <clears throat> you know, we made, as a committees we made recommendations to uh, Chairman Tavis at the state party level, and they have put forth a plan that they plan on enacting and everything like that. I just hope we get this thing in place and we get it moving so that we can try to, um, you know, capitalize on the hard work that's been done. But, you know, again... Um, The fact remains, you can't give the other side up to 50 days to collect ballots or votes and relegate yourselves to 13 hours on election day and hope to win, okay? Um, But unfortunately, that's what too many of our folks are doing. And I know I've talked to many folks firsthand where I say, hey, you know, sign up for a mail-in or absentee ballot. No, no, I go to the polls on election day. I vote. Well, not enough of you do because – You know, I see the list. In the 2020, excuse me, the 2021, the last off-year election when we elected Supreme Court Justice Kevin Brobson, and we won three of the four Mm -hmm. uh, statewide appellate uh, court seats, you know, 54% of Republicans didn't go to vote. 54%, okay? Now, Mm -hmm. just think if we, you know, if, you know, instead of 46% going out, we would have 47%. Forty-seven percent we would have won four of those four judicial appellate court seats, okay? So, folks, your vote does matter. It's incredibly important that you do go out and vote, however you choose to do so. But I just don't believe you should allow chance to enter into it. You know, it's been shown that, hey, you know, for one inch of rain, will depress turnout by 1%. For every inch of snow, it'll depress turnout by half a percent. So weather can get in the way. Right? <clears throat> Illness. You know, things just strike people down, okay? Uh, and it just comes before them. They get sick. Their child is sick, family member, something like that. Folks have car problems or transportation issues and find that they can't get to the polls. And, you know, with the last minute, I mean, the deadline for applying for a mail in ballot is the week before. So after that, you're out of luck. And I can't tell you, as a member of the Board of Elections, how many calls and emails I get from people who. Oh, my gosh, I have to go out of town. Or work, I have to work later. I have to work this week, whatever it may be, okay? And, but, folks, you can eliminate all of those potential obstacles from actually being an obstacle by signing up and getting a mail-in, an absentee ballot. And, and, you know, for anyone who hasn't done it, you get an email. If you give them your email address every step of the way. I mean, I got an email once I submitted my application. When my application was approved, they sent me an email telling me that. I got an email telling me that, that my ballot was being mailed out. I got an email telling me that my ballot was received, and I know it's, it's in and it's going to be counted. Okay? It doesn't get any easier, and it's extremely, uh, you know, well-documented, the entire process. So you should have some confidence in it. Okay? Again, as Megan was saying, you don't have to like it, but it's the law of the land as it exists, and we would be stupid not to take advantage of the rules that exist today to compete. So hey, we're almost done here. Want to ask you again, if someone wants to learn more about you, they go to
1: Megan Martin for A, M-E-G-A-N-M-A-R-T-I-N-F-O-R-P-A.com or just Megan Martin for PA on Facebook, on Instagram. Sam, it's been a pleasure to be here. I really have enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, It's truly my honor to be uh, in this important role, running for this very important judicial race, and I would love to earn the votes of your listeners and all the folks all across our great Commonwealth on May 16th. It would be my honor.
0: Well, you heard it, folks. I mean, I've had the opportunity to get to know Megan, and uh, I mean, she's right. This whole process, when they come out at the beginning, is really, really tough, right? But uh, she has persevered. She has risen to the top. That's why she was endorsed and uh, why hopefully she should be our nominee for Commonwealth Court here in PA on May 16th. Folks, until next week, this is Sam DeMarco, Megan Martin, John Snader, and Dazzling Daryl Grandy signing off from the elephant in the room on WJAS 1320 AM, Talk 99.1 FM. See you next week.